the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. I'm Hugh Hewitt on the Tuesday after the 2024 Iowa caucuses, which Donald Trump won handily. He romped. He won every single demographic. He won every single ethnic group. He won every single age group, every single education group. He romped. Uh, 59% of rural caucus goers voted for Trump. 59% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. 54% of voters under the age of 30 voted for Trump. Headlines, Washington Post. Trump scores decisive win in Iowa caucuses. DeSantis places second. Headline, Wall Street Journal. Donald Trump routes rivals in Iowa caucus. Headline, in the New York Times. Um, i got to find the New York Times because I put it away because who really cares what the New York Times says about this stuff. But it was another big win. Uh, And then we've got lots more news. Vivek Ramaswamy ended his campaign last night, endorsed Donald Trump. Nikki Haley came in third. Don uh, DeSantis came in a very disappointing second. Everyone, everyone lost last night except for Donald Trump. Here is the former president as he begins his victory speech, cut number 13. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time. And most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. Come back to the entire speech a little bit later. Let's go to Ron DeSantis, his concession speech, cut number 16. We love you, too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million attacking us. No one's faced that much all the way just through Iowa. They, the media was against us. They were writing our obituary months ago. They even called the election before people even got a chance to vote. But they were just so excited about the fact that they were predicting Uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. But I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. So there are traditionally three tickets out of Iowa, and Governor DeSantis came in second. Here is Ambassador Haley last night in Iowa, cut number 17. When you look at how we're doing in New Hampshire... In South Carolina and beyond, 
say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. So that is Ambassador Haley's uh, pitch as she moves into New Hampshire, which is one week from today. Vivek Ramaswamy, again, he's conceding, getting out, cut number 19. Not just to the Democrats, but to our own side. And not just to other campaigns and candidacies, but to ours. And so I will stick to the truth tonight. The first hard truth, and this one's hard for me. i got to admit this. But we've looked at it every which way, and I think it is true that we did not achieve the surprise that we wanted to deliver tonight. And I think that that's just a hard fact that we're going to have to accept as a campaign. And then my favorite reaction of the night, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, cut number four. The, the, again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not... If we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government, the leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm-hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm-hmm. bigger part mm-hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before. And I know because I've been studying this. But once you have radicalized one... Up for a second. I know because I've been studying this. Rachel is a joke. Uh, she's a very amusing joke. She doesn't go in harm's way. She doesn't debate people who know what they're talking about. And as I wrote at length on Fox News over the weekend, the people who grab onto the authoritarian stuff, they don't have an explanation that they want to confront. Joe Biden is an infirm, often slack-jawed president who is overwhelmed. Let me do the other headlines that matter this morning. Headlines that have nothing to do with American electoral politics and everything to do with this election. right. Last night, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps attacked buildings in Iraq with missiles. Alternatively described as Mossad headquarters, Iraqi military headquarters, civilian headquarters, an American consulate. Um, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. New York Times, Houthis, undeterred by strikes, target more ships in the Red Sea. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. U.S. forces recovered Iranian warheads in a Navy SEAL mission gone awry. Two SEALs are still missing. A search, you know, don't give up on a SEAL in the water. Don't give up on a SEAL in the water. Hamas says two more Israeli hostages are dead. Defense Minister of Israel Gallant says intense fighting is over in the north. will end in Khan Yunus soon. And the IDF commander on the Lebanon border that's in Israel's north says, we are more prepared than we've ever been for escalation with Hezbollah. So the world is on the edge of a major, major war. It's actually begun in Ukraine and Israel. It spread last night to Iraq. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard is directly involved, and they are admitting it. And so I think this is pretty easy to decide what happened last night. I have a long piece at Fox News. Why did Iowa's evangelicals vote the way they did? They were supposed to be the group. Bob Vanderplatz is a big-time activist. He endorsed... um, Ron DeSantis. Governor Kim Reynolds, a very popular governor, she endorsed Ron DeSantis. More than half of Iowa's vaunted evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. 
Why did they do that? I, I think it's not, do not project upon them as the left likes to do identity politics. Evangelicals are voting aware that the world is at the precipice indeed over the precipice into war, and they're voting for their children and their grandchildren. It is that simple. And if it's a Biden-Trump matchup in these circumstances, Trump is going to win handily. And the left is going to fret and wring their hands and say everything like they said, like Rachel and everybody else said last night, authoritarian dictator nonsense, absolute nonsense. The economy sucks. Everybody knows it sucks. Americans are, are, are purchasing 11 percent less than they did with the same amount of money three years ago. Their wages haven't kept up. Stagnation is here. Stagflation is here. Uh, it, the inflationary rate last month was double what the Fed wants. So the interest rates are going to stay high. It's going to stay high, hard to buy a home. Americans are deeply unhappy with the very, very old president who cannot appear to do anything correct and cannot appear to anticipate anything correctly. I sent Dwayne a, a note last night. You have to check your I, I don't see it here. Uh, president Biden being asked two days ago about Iran. Check your direct messages, Dwayne, and Twitter. And he said, I've warned Iran. They won't do anything. And then Iran struck. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard fired missiles at our base, Israel's base, or Iraq's base. And that's the world that we are in. The old evil men in Tehran, Khomeini, and in Moscow, Putin, and the younger evil man in China, Xi, they realize we've never been weaker. They would not do this stuff with Donald Trump and I believe firmly that American evangelicals, the Washington Post had a silly article yesterday I told you about. It. That's why I wrote my column. And I'll post my column during the break over at Twitter X. They told you that they think Trump is ordained by God. No. I mean, some small percentage. There's a bell curve and everything. I've been grading law school tests for 25 years. There's always a left edge of the tail and a right edge of the tail. The people who flunk and the people who get A pluses and everyone's pretty much in the middle. American evangelicals are voting their children's future and their grandchildren's future, and they're voting the peril of the world, just like every other group. A huge win for former President Donald Trump. Not over. Nikki Haley has a card to play in New Hampshire. Governor DeSantis says he's on to South Carolina. But I do not believe this will still be in doubt after Shipper Tuesday. But I've been wrong before. Your phone calls are welcome. one 800 Are you surprised, astonished even, by the extent, breadth, depth of Donald Trump's win? It was down from 180,000 voters, 220,000 voters last night because of the intense cold. But a big win is a big win is a big win for Donald Trump. Stay tuned, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt on the morning after Donald Trump's huge win in the Iowa caucuses, the New Hampshire primary next week. I wrote last night, why did Donald Trump win, especially Iowa's evangelicals? It's the most important voting block in any early state, Iowa's evangelicals. And I wrote at length, so Trump crushed it in Iowa. My colleagues at the Washington Post wondered again this weekend what, quote, evangelicals see in Trump. The provocative headline, ordained by God, telegraphs the reporter's answers, but it is simply incorrect. First, after a quarter century of grading law school exams, I can assure you, as any fair grader can, there's always a bell curve in every distribution. 
There will certainly be some small percentage of evangelicals who believe Trump is ordained by God. But there are going to be quite a few on the other end who support him in everything, though they don't believe they share a common faith. That's just the way it is. The identity politics that consumes so much of the left and of the elite media just doesn't control large swaths of America. Many tens of millions of voters don't vote for the person who is most like him or her, but who is most likely to be good for him or her. They vote their perceived self-interest. The former president has been making this sale for a long time, and it's working. In the same Washington Peace post, though, I wrote in Fox News this morning, there is this astonishing paragraph, quote, Trump has accused the Biden administration of discrimination against people of faith, suggesting at a campaign event that Christians are being persecuted and government has been weaponized against religion like never before. Fact checkers, however, have debunked that claim, the Post continued. Experts on religious liberty, such as John and Azu from Washington University in St. Louis, cite multiple religion-related Supreme Court cases and say religious freedom is perhaps more protected than ever. I continue now. First and most obviously, the reason cases vindicating religious liberties and especially free exercise rights make it to the Supreme Court where they are won and religious freedom is protected is because the litigants' religious rights have in fact been trampled on long before the case reached the justices. It is axiomatic that if religious people are winning cases before the Supreme Court, it is because they have been wronged by state actors. So the fact checkers are simply wrong again in 10 minutes with any litigator from Alliance Defending Freedom, which handles hundreds, if not thousands, of anti-religious actions every year on behalf of believers, can set any reporter straight on the record. Second, the left is dominated by secular absolutists on issues such as abortion and gender. Parents who are evangelical care deeply about their children's education and want to be fully informed of their children's record at school and any issues they may have. Evangelicals are especially hostile to teaching environments that will undermine faith principles they intend to impart to their kids. They don't want the president to be a preacher, and they don't want teachers to be preachers either. Trump is no fan of the education establishment, so he's going to pick up evangelicals on these issues as well. But the most important thing Trump had going for him with Iowa in Iowa with evangelicals, and probably in all future primary contests, is the deeply felt belief among people of faith, the elites are after Trump. What is it about liberals who hate Trump that they rush headline into suicide commentary magazine editor John Podhoritz wondered on, mag- on the magazine's Monday morning podcast after ticking off the latest self-destruct button hit by another would-be Trump Javert, in this case Fulton prosecutor Fannie Willis. Whether Alvin Bragg, Letitia Smith, New York State Attorney Judge Arthur Ergon, the whistleblowers of the National Archives and Record Administration or Special Counsel Jack Smith, none of the current posse of Trump hunters has struck the center-right in this country as fair and careful. Smith especially has reached for theories of first impression every bit as unusual as the Colorado Supreme Court and Maine Secretary of State in deciding that people would in fact not get to decide whether to vote for Trump. It all adds up to a very long column of first-of-its-kind charges against Trump. Folks notice that the effort to, quote, get Trump got underway a long time ago, in 2015, and will seemingly never end. You don't have to be an evangelical to have a sense of justice and fair play. But if you've got one, you look at this blizzard of legal gambits and conclude, this may not be right, and it certainly is unusual. 
Trump is not guaranteed the GOP nomination, much less the election, though I do think he'd lock it up right now with the right running mate, some key cabinet announcements, and more of the relaxed Trump we saw in the Fox Town Hall last week than White Hot Raleigh Trump. But he's not going to change much. The issues have, though. As I wrote over the weekend, this is going to be a 10-7 election, not a 1-6 election. If the world continues to tumble into intense conflict, of whom will America's enemies be more wary, Trump or Biden? Some may answer Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, and that's almost certainly to those two, just like Trump, will give America's foes much more pause than the appeasement caucus around the infirm president. But Trump versus Biden in a dangerous world with barbarians committing massacres? That's not going to be close. And please, Manhattan Beltway media elites and professional analysts, put away the impulses to assume everyone or even most people vote their identity. Consider that most vote their future and the futures of their children and their grandchildren. That's my Fox News column. It's over at X. It's over at Fox News. You can Google Hugh Hewitt and Fox News. Send it to everyone who's wondering, especially those people who watch MSNBC and have no idea that... Iowa's evangelicals are about the opposite of authoritarian. They really are. They're they're like the least authoritarian people in the United States. Iowa's evangelical. And Rachel Maddow can't talk about anything except America going more authoritarian. They, They just can't accept the fact that Joe Biden is an utter and complete failure. Your phone call, Donald Trump's speech accepting victory last night in Iowa after his romp. Coming up next on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Donald Trump won big in Iowa last night. I've been covering the Iowa caucus on radio since 1992 and on television since 1996. I've never seen anyone win an outright majority in a contested Iowa caucus. I think the former president would have won even a larger margin had the weather not been so intimidatingly bad. Basically a tie for second and third. Governor DeSantis eked out a, a bit of a win over Ambassador Haley. He is not competing. Governor DeSantis is not competing in New Hampshire. Ambassador Haley can try and make a race of this if she wins in New Hampshire and wins in South Carolina. But uh, And then Governor DeSantis winning in Florida. But it's very hard for me to see. There are paths. There are paths. But it's very hard for me to see how... Ambassador Haley, uh, I've got open invitations, by the way, to Ambassador Haley, Governor DeSantis, and the former president to come on the show anytime this week, anytime they want. And I'm all over New Hampshire, uh, thanks to our wonderful WGAN out of Portland, our affiliates in Manchester and Keene, New Hampshire. We cover the entire Granite State. Every candidate is welcome here. Let's hear what people have to say about last night. 1-800-520-1234. Dan in Duluth. Good morning, Dan. What's the temperature in Duluth this morning, or wherever you are in Minnesota? Yeah, Inver Grove Heights, Minnesota. Uh, it's a, I think it's like minus four. Ah, morning. balmy weather. Don't even put on a jacket. <laughs> you, I think uh, Ambassador Haley lost the conservative vote in one fell swoop, and she gave uh, Ron DeSantis manna from heaven so that he can uh, seal and keep second place. Uh, when after after she failed to answer the question from the gentleman who asked her, can can a man uh, be turned into a woman? And she couldn't. You know, I, say- I, I saw that, Dan, but I do not believe 
in this in this day and age that anyone changes their vote based on one answer. I really don't Uh, like her slavery answer. Everyone has a face plant. Everyone, every one of these candidates has a bad day and a best day and a worst day. So much more goes into going to the Iowa caucus. You know that. You got to get in your car. You got to drive over there. You're not driving over there because of one comment, right? I thought that was a killer. I I mean, I could be wrong, but that's how I saw it. As soon as I heard her say that, I just thought it was over for her. Well, watch New Hampshire. She's in second place there and surging, although last night's not going to help. Thank you, Dan. Joanne in Sarasota, Florida. We'll go from north to south. What do you say? 1-800-520-1234. I'm not going to have many calls today, so if you want a reaction to Donald Trump's big win last night, you got to get it in now. What, what do you say, Joanne? I will say that I exhaled a little bit after the fearful three years under this regime that we've had. We hadn't won yet. He hadn't won the nomination or the election. He just looked very strong last night. He did, and I'm just hoping the poor man can make it through with all the adversity he has to handle. Well, I think one of the reasons evangelicals voted for him, and I tried to communicate this in my Fox News column this morning, uh, I am myself an evangelical Roman Catholic Presbyterian, so I had one river, two banks. But you don't have to be a Catholic or Presbyterian or evangelical or Baptist or Mormon or anything to have a deep sense of right and wrong and fair play. Americans kind of are... We watch sports a lot. We know fair play. We know when people get hosed. And we think Donald Trump's getting hosed by Alvin Bragg, Letitia Smith, Judge Arthur Engron, Special Counsel Jack Smith. We just think he's getting hosed. Well, the, the way I tell friends, you, if you ha- need a surgeon that can do the job and you don't like him, you still take him. We need Donald Trump. Well, thank you so much, Joanne. Back north again, Nancy, 1-800-520-1234. Nancy's in Montana. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Mr. Hewitt. Well, I am so happy and I am so impressed with what uh, former President Donald Trump accomplished at the Iowa caucus. I see it as good over evil. And uh, by that, I mean, of course, the left that are trying to destroy our nation. So I'm happy, 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 happy this morning. Did you see your next senator, Tim Sheehy, was in Iowa working for Donald Trump yesterday? Yes, I did. He was with one of my favorite congresswomen, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I wish that President, uh, former President Trump would consider her as a VP. No, I, I think the VP has got to be a military man or woman. Uh, we are heading into... Very, very serious times, and you've got to play to the the center right now. You've got to play to the American sense of precariousness, which is palpable. And my list of six are Senator Tom Cotton, Congressman Mike Gallagher, Joni Ernst, Senator from Iowa, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, um, Dan Sullivan, Senator from Alaska, I am forgetting my fifth, and I'll, it'll come to me, but it's a military person. Thank you. Rick in Arkansas. Let's go south again. Rick, what did you think of last night? I thought, thought, I thought it played out exactly like everybody expected it to. Um, you know, I'm, one of the things that I'm not hearing is, uh, you know, I know that Nikki Haley's um, um, disagreement with Trump running is that because of all the baggage he's bringing behind him, but the thing is, is no matter who wins the nominee for the Republicans, they are going to be attacked like nobody's business. 
and Trump has weathered the storm like I don't think anybody else I've ever seen in history weather the attacks, the the amount of the attacks, the uh, the intensity of the attacks. I can't I can't see anybody else weathering the storm like he has. Speaking of the storm, here's Howard Dean last night on MSNBC. A little taste of what's going to come from the left. For whoever the nominee is, particularly if it's Donald Trump, the front runner, cut number eight. Well, it is. I mean, Trump is the farthest thing from an evangelical Christian. In fact, he's the farthest thing from a Christian in terms of his own professed values, how he treats women, how he uh, treats other people, his willingness to say whatever he wants, whether it's true or not. I mean, these are hardly what most Christians would call Christian values. So in in many ways, the danger here is that the evangelical Christians have abandoned any pretense of being ethical. Uh, and they're just doing this because Trump is their vehicle uh, to their vision of how the, what they'd like to impose on the rest of us in the United States. So I, I don't know what to make of all this. this no, you I, don't, Howard. You never have. But MSNBC is not really in touch with reality. Joy Reid on MSNBC last night, cut number 12. I'm right. And the thing is, we were talking about, we were sort of laughing about the fact that they're talking about electability when he's literally lost everything he's touched for the last four years. But, you know, I feel like the important sort of data point, and, you know, Steve talks about it a lot. He's, he's going to probably talk about it a little more tonight, is that these, these are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented over by white Christians that are going to participate in these tonight. caucuses, yes. especially tonight. Um, I today, earlier today, reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones, um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper evangelical st- white state. And he said the following to me Iowa is about 61% white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41% white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. And he said the following. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following. They see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it back to them. I, uh, I don't believe Robbie George said that. Or if he said it, there was quite a lot more context uh, about it. Unless she's talking to a different Robert George professor, McCormick professor at Princeton I don't know. Anthony in Kentucky, what do you put down to Donald Trump's big win last night? Uh, what I expected, but I was really disappointed in the turnout. With over 3 million people and only uh, a little over 100,000 people coming out, I can't blame that all on the weather. I think uh, I think a lot of people are disinterested. I really believe that. No, I, I don't think so. 2015, 2016 contested primary. Very hotly contested primary, 187,000 people. This year, 110,000 people. That is the weather. It was brutal. And especially if you're an old person, and where are you calling from, Kentucky, Anthony? If you're an old person and you go out at night to a caucus and your car doesn't start afterwards, you're cooked. So uh, I just it's just the weather. It was just brutal yesterday. But, Anthony, thank you. John, St. Paul, Minnesota, what would you put to Donald Trump's Big, big win last night. Well, I put it to just what Miss Reed had just said. She she insults people's intelligence, and we have to have a strong, capable president who can handle handle this stuff going on in the world and in our country, and Donald Trump is the only person I see who can do that. And I'm not an evangelical Christian. I'm a working-class male, and, and 
I feel like I have no choice. These people, these oligarchs on the left are, are completely out of touch with what's going on in this country. And I, I think people, here's J.B. Britzker. He's the governor of Illinois. He was on um, last night analyzing what is going on, and he's just not in touch with reality. Cut number five. Well, I think Joy had it right. Almost half of the base of the Republican Party showing up for this caucus tonight voted against Donald Trump. Think about that. I mean, this is the most famous Republican. He's the guy who, you know, basically built the modern Republican Party, the MAGA Republican Party that Democrats are running against. And half the people in that party didn't vote for Donald Trump. Do you understand how disingenuous that is? It is a record-breaking blowout win. And a Democrat goes on MSNBC. No wonder that the left doesn't really know what's going on in this country. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, yesterday, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard attacked either Mossad or the American facility in Erbil, Kurdistan, Iraq, directly took credit for it. Earlier in the day, Joe Biden said this, cut 22. I've already delivered the message to Iran. They know not to do anything. Iran's not going to do anything. Joe Biden, we can't, I really don't think we can survive four years of Joe Biden. And I don't think he's going to survive four years, the poor and firm guy. Back America, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas joins me. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back. Always good to talk to you. Good morning, Hugh. It's good to be on with you. How do you react to President Trump's blowout win last night in Iowa? Well, Hugh, congratulations to President Trump for a decisive, historic victory. As you know, I support the president. I endorsed him a few weeks ago. Um, I think it's going to be a clear contrast between two defined records. This is going to be an unusual presidential race in in which you don't have one candidate making promises about what they would do, what they might do, or what they will do. You simply have to compare the track records. Under President Trump, we had low inflation, we had strong economy, rising working class wages, our border was secure, and we were respected and feared in the world. Under Joe Biden, everything's gone to hell. And I think most Americans, when it comes time to cast a vote in November, are going to vote for what they know will happen under President Trump because it's what they had for four years before Joe Biden came along and started ruining everything. Uh, Senator Cotton, Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis are carrying on. Do you think they have a path? Well, you after last night's decisive and historic victory, it's frankly hard to see it. Um, I mean, they ran a strong race. Uh, as President Trump said, he congratulated them last night on strong races. Um, you know, the people in New Hampshire are going to have their say, but I've been in New Hampshire a lot. You and I have to tell you, Donald Trump is very strong in New Hampshire as well. And from that point, it only gets stronger for President Trump when he comes to my neck of the woods, South Carolina first, and then the rest, or much of the South, on the Super Tuesday state. So uh, I think after last night's decisive victory, the writing is on the wall here, and we're ready to uh, take on Joe Biden as a unified Republican Party. Now, I hate to do this to you, but I want to play for you a little bit of Rachel Maddow because it is emblematic of the meltdown (laughs) on the left. Last night on MSNBC, cut number four. Again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not, if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism. Stop right there. Senator Cotton, every time I hear a left winger, I mean a hard left winger like Rachel, Bring up authoritarianism or dictatorship. I wrote about this in Fox News this weekend. They have no faith in the Constitution. They are they are inventing a bogeyman. What do you make of such incredibly incendiary and actually kind of stupid remarks? 
Well, Hugh, first off, I just want to say, inflicting upon me the first eight seconds of Rachel Maddow that I've ever listened to may end our long relationship <laughs> in this radio program. I'm sorry. Um, second, let, let's think about what Rachel Maddow and Joe Biden and all these Democrats and lefties in the media might mean when they talk about the rise of authoritarianism or dictatorship. Could it be, I don't know, trying to imprison your chief political opponent? Could it be using the Department of Justice to prosecute and really persecute ideological opponents like Christians praying outside abortion clinics? Maybe using the Department of Justice to protect your own family cronies from uh, due process of law. Uh, Maybe it's ignoring courts to reward your political uh, coalition. Is that what they mean Donald Trump's going to do? Oh, no, wait, that's exactly what Joe Biden has been doing for the last three years. So as always, these crazed left-wingers who are making these fantastical allegations about Donald Trump are really projecting, as the psychologists say. They are accusing Donald Trump of things that they have already been doing. I, I agree with that. By the way, I have a column today on why the evangelicals voted overwhelmingly for Trump at Fox News, and it's simply it's not because they believe he's ordained by God, though there are certainly some evangelicals, a small number, uh, who will say that. It's because, generally speaking, people of faith have a good sense of right and wrong and of fair play and especially of due process. And I think most Americans, whether they're people of faith or not, have a great sense of fair play because we watch the NFL and we always know when calls are screwed up, like the poor Browns got hosed on the interference call and non David Nanjoko that didn't get called, but I digress. Uh, we, we, we know fair play. This is not fair. Jack Smith isn't fair. Letitia Smith isn't fair. Uh, Fannie Willis isn't fair. Uh, uh, the, the guy in Manhattan is not fair. None of it is Senator Cotton. I think an American, especially evangelicals, understand that. Now, I think any fair-minded observer, which certainly include almost all evangelicals, uh, can see that the left is once again trying to do anything to include anti-democratic, anti-constitutional measures to stop Donald Trump. Um, you mentioned some of these prosecutions. It's come to light in just the last week that Fannie Wills, the prosecutor in Atlanta, uh, apparently was paying her lover hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a special prosecutor to go after Donald Trump and then using that money herself to benefit herself on luxury vacations and other stuff. Um, and then she gets up a few days ago and claims that, oh, it's racism and sexism that they're criticizing her when she also paid other special prosecutors. Well, yeah, but apparently she wasn't sleeping with the other special prosecutors, or take Jack Smith. In both of these cases, he is stretching the law on questions of first impression aggressively to go after Donald Trump with a single-minded fanaticism of putting him in prison before the election and asking the Supreme Court to go along with him as well. So it's a heads I win, tells you lose to the Democrats. Either they side with Jack Smith, or if they don't, then Dick Durbin and Chuck Schumer will go attack them for being a partisan institution. Um, look at what's happened in Colorado and Maine, where you had partisan state actors kicking Donald Trump off the ballot because they're afraid he might win if he's on the ballot. So it, it's always been the case, going back to 2015, that Donald Trump's opponents on the left will uh, resort to anti-democratic, anti-constitutional measures to do anything to stop him. I mean, they're to the point now, they're so far around the bend, they're saying that it would be a subversion of democracy if Donald Trump wins the Democratic election this November. Last night, Senator Cotton, MSNBC wholly refused to carry 
the former president's victory speech, and CNN cut it off when he began to talk about the border. This is rank censorship. This is not news organizations. What do you make of those two decisions? Well, again, it's just a perfect example of what we're talking about, Hugh, is that they'll use any kind of technique, any kind of unprecedented action to avoid a Donald Trump victory in November. If Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley had won last night, of course they would have carried their speech. Certainly they carried speeches by people like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton in 2008 um, whenever they had a spirited primary. But they won't let Donald Trump go on their network to speak because they will resort to any tactic not or to avoid a Donald Trump victory. I mean, if Donald Trump wins in November, are they going to cut away from his inaugural address? Are they going to cut away for four years from his State of the Union? Now, the good news is that since MSNBC and CNN only have tens and tens of viewers, that not that many people were affected by their decision. But it, it shows their mindset. Now, I want to switch, if I can, Senator, to the important issue of context. Last night, as Iowans were caucusing, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard attacked facilities in Iraq in Erbil, variously labored, uh, labeled as belonging to Mossad or to the American intelligence community or to Iraqis. I don't care. The IRGC attacked a sovereign state with ballistic missiles. President Biden said nothing last night. I, I think this context is going to envelop... I think it's a 10-7 election, not a 1-6 election. What do you think? Well, I certainly think it's true that more Americans care a lot more about the dangers they see in the world, uh, whether it's Iran shooting ballistic missiles across international borders or uh, Hamas uh, you know, committing uh, the worst kinds of atrocities against Israelis than they are about the Capitol riot. Um, I think what you've seen, and again, we don't know for sure what the target was, and we can wait to determine that, but it's just a perfect example of how Joe Biden's weakness and indecision and half measures have failed totally to protect Americans. And we saw it last week when we had very limited pinprick strikes strikes against a bunch of goat herders in Yemen who somehow found land attack cruise missiles and one-way drones to use against American ships. Where do we think they got those? They got that know-how from Iran. And what have they done since then? They were right back at it. So obviously, as I suspected and suggested at the time, Joe Biden did not scare these rebels in Yemen straight. All he did is embolden them, and he further emboldened the Ayatollahs to start launching, again, ballistic missiles across international borders. The only thing that's going to put an end to these attacks on Americans and our friends and partners in the region is a devastating strike against Yemen, and increasingly it looks like it will have to be against Iranians as well. This is what President Biden said yesterday before the Iranian Revolutionary Guard launched ballistic missiles at bases in Iraq. Cut number 22. I've already delivered the message to Iran. They know I'm not to do anything. He said, I've already delivered the message to Iran. They're not going to do anything. Of course, they did something. We also have and are praying for two SEALs who are missing this morning. They had to board, along with other members of their of their company, a Yemen-bound Iranian missile shipment, and two are missing at sea. If anyone can survive 48 hours at sea, it's a couple of SEALs, but prayers for them. He's not deterred them, Senator Cotton. People don't understand. Iran might be making a conscious choice for regional war, and the appeasers around the president and an infirm president do not seem to be aware of that possibility. No, so far from deterring them, Hugh, he has emboldened them. The only way to deter the Ayatollahs is to scare them straight or to kill them dead. 
This is exactly what Ronald Reagan did in 1988 during the so-called tanker wars when Iran was mining the Persian Gulf and impeding the flow of oil tankers out. Ronald Reagan sank half their navy. He was asked on the South Lawn on the way to Marine One if we were at war with Iran now, and he laughed at the prospect and said Iran wouldn't be so stupid. It's still the same Ayatollahs. Same thing happened with Donald Trump in 2020 uh, when we killed their terrorist mastermind, Qasem Soleimani, in Iraq. Again, that scared Iran straight. There were no more attacks for the rest of the year, of the uh, fourth year of the Trump presidency. What do we have here, though? We have, again, hesitant, halting, pinprick strikes uh, against proxies. So, of course, all it's doing is teaching Iran that their proxy strategy works and to pour more fuel on the fire. I want to close by asking you, do you think this will be a national security election? Always elections are, are ballot uh, on people's economics, and they're very bad under Bidenomics. But the fear I have is that the world's going to be on fire by the time we get to November. It's already on fire. What do you think? Well, national security elections tend to happen at a time of grave peril, and unfortunately, that's what we face. Uh, we don't have the peace, prosperity, and stability we had for four years under Donald Trump. We have war breaking out all over the, uh, the world. So I do think that national security questions are going to play a larger role in this election than they sometimes do. And that will very much be to Donald Trump's benefit because the American people want a strong president who protects Americans' interests, not a weak president like Joe Biden. Senator Tom Cotton, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Donald Trump romped last night, winning 98 of 99 counties in Iowa, winning every demographic. He won 54% of the people under the age of 30. He won 59% of self-identified white evangelicals. He won and won and won. Byron York of the Washington Examiner and Fox News joins me. Good morning, Byron. What do you make of last night? Well, uh, it dispensed with the question of whether Trump could get to 50% or not. Um, He got to 51%, and that had really loomed as the the sort of the last stand of the people who opposed Trump, because what they wanted to do was was hold Trump to below 50%. Let's say he got 48%. Uh, and they would then say, look, we need to keep this primary going. More people voted for somebody else, somebody other than Donald Trump, than voted for Trump. And therefore, we need to continue this primary and have Nikki Haley perhaps be the nominee. Uh, Trump's argument was going to be, if he got over 50 percent, was going to be, you know that argument you have about if you can just get all of the uh, Trump opponents, uh, all of them out of the race except for one, and then uh, we'll have a one-on-one contest? Well, look, you could you could put them all together, and they still can't beat me. And that's what Trump did. Uh, so the f- 51% was a really kind of a dagger, stake in the heart of that, that argument that uh, more people uh, oppose Trump than support him. Now, I spent most of my Fox News column on the white evangelical vote this morning because it's so widely misunderstood. Uh, The Washington Post ran a headline yesterday, ordained by God, implying that evangelical voters, self-described evangelicals, are voting for Trump because he's ordained by God. That's really stupid. They're voting their self-interest, their interest of their children and their grandchildren, and they may or may not believe He believes their faith ideals. But I'm really tired of the hysteria at MSNBC. And I have two questions for you, Byron. Does the hysteria on the left about Trump help him? And does the inherent American attachment to due process and fair play 
and we love due process and fair play in sports, in everything. It's part of our DNA. Work for Trump because they perceive in all these Javers, Letitia Smith and the crazy judge in New York and Jack Smith and Fannie Wills and uh, Keith Bragg or Alvin Bragg. Do you think it's all piling up into a, gosh, this guy's getting screwed reaction among people of fair play? Well, I think that's certainly what happened in Iowa. The, the Trump supporters I've talked to here in Iowa um, have all thought that he was being unfairly pursued. As a matter of fact, it's just an assumption among them. It's not like a, a judgment call. They, they, they firmly believe that. And as far as evangelicals are concerned, I think the fundamental reason they're supporting him now is the fundamental reason they supported him in 2016 is because they feel under attack, under attack by the, the forces of woke, uh, the forces that uh, are going to that might uh, make them lose their job unless they uh, express the belief that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. They feel under attack and they feel that Trump is their best and strongest protector against those attacks. That is part uh, of it. In fact, in that Washington Post piece yesterday. The reporters said about Trump's assertion that evangelicals are under attack, quote, fact checkers, however, have debunked that claim. Experts on religious liberty, such as John Anazu from Washington University in St. Louis, cite multiple religion related Supreme Court cases and say religious freedom is perhaps more protected than ever. You know, Byron, that is so self-contradictory. The reason one wins at the Supreme Court in the defense of religious liberty is because your religious liberty has been trampled on by state actors. Those cases, whether in Missouri or in Philadelphia or in Colorado, would not have existed or in Washington state, except for the fact that actions were taken against religious believers. It's as though they don't understand they're indicting their own argument. Yeah. I, and, and as far as the the issue of, of what the response of the, of the political system uh, that has been trying to sort of expel Trump, uh, by indicting him, uh, I, I think the response will be that they need to just uh, raise raise the attacks. They need to just do more. They still haven't done enough to get rid of this man. Um, so I, I think that's going to be their reaction is to to try to you know beat him harder. Oh, is um, this, did you watch MSNBC at all last night? Or were you on the Fox uh, Green Table all night? I was uh, at. Uh, a uh, a caucus in Ankeny, Iowa, and then I went to uh, Ron DeSantis's uh, headquarters uh, after that. So I was I had a television free evening uh, where I actually well uh, the hysteria it. at MSNBC was fun to watch. I mean, these are all yeah. people I I don't hate them. I, I worked with them; they're fine colleagues, but they all have a worldview that is deeply, deeply distorted by their ideology, and they project identity politics onto everyone, when in fact I project self-interest politics onto everyone. Byron, tell me about the crowded Team DeSantis. They poured everything. The, for, yeah. the governor of Florida poured everything into Iowa. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, they felt enormous relief, and they, they really weren't surprised that that he actually finished second. Now, that was viewed uh, amongst a lot of people as as the minimum he he had to do to survive. That is, if he finished third, he'd be going to Florida today uh, instead of going to South Carolina and then to New Hampshire. So 
So they were relieved about that. They were extremely angry. Uh, And this is something that I wasn't seeing, but they were extremely angry that a number of media outlets had called the race for Trump uh, before people had voted in some caucuses, which I think I think they were justifiably angry about that. And I think that we should have a uh, a reform in the next um, uh, in the next Iowa caucuses that nobody calls the race before, say, 8 p.m. Central Time, uh, which gives everybody a time to vote. So they were very upset about that. But I think the one thing they can't really face is how this is going to work going forward, because um, they're, you know, they were happy to have beaten Nikki Haley, but they were far, far, you know, 30 points behind Trump. And so, okay, they've just been trounced by Trump in Iowa. They're not going to beat Trump in New Hampshire. Uh, And then they're not going to beat Trump in South Carolina. So then we're going to get to a situation, and it won't be until the end of February, because South Carolina is not until February 24th. Um, they're going to be in a situation in which uh, they've lost to Trump in Iowa, they've lost to Trump in New Hampshire, and they've lost to Trump in uh, South Carolina. What happens then? Nobody stays in a race after something like that happens. There's no money. There's no money. No money, and you don't, um, you know, you don't win Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina and lose the Republican nomination. So um, I think I think basically what we're going to see is uh, uh, just as last night we saw the uh, uh, keep him under 50 percent as the as the rallying cry. Uh, I think you're going to see a desperate attempt to get enough Democrats to vote in the New Hampshire primary to have Haley actually defeat him there um, and use that as a rationale. to keep well, going. I've got a couple of observations I want to test on you. Mitch McConnell wrote in the long game. You can never start too early, but you can start too late. Did Governor DeSantis start too late? Oh, you mean in getting in the race when he did waiting? Yeah, well, it didn't help. um, But his his theory, and it's actually pretty true, you look at the Real Clear Politics average polls. um, In March of 2023, last March, he pulls to within about 14 points of Trump. And it appears to be a race. You know, 14 points is, is a significant Trump lead, but it's not like today. Um, and then uh, at the at the uh, end of April, when when is the Alvin Bragg uh, uh, indictment? I think it's like uh, or, or the beginning of April. Yeah, it's, um, it's in the spring. It's the first the one. indictment comes in New York. And the polls, the Trump polls go up by 10 points and DeSantis goes down by 10 points. And basically the dynamic that has been the same ever since sets in. And Trump even goes up incrementally after the subsequent indictment. And, and, and a quick comment from you, Byron, on Chris Savita and Susie Wiles deciding not to have the former president debate. Turned out to be brilliant. Um a lot of a lot of people thought, and I think I think the sort of good government view was that of course Trump should should take part in the debates. I uh, urged him to know. debate. I thought it would hurt him not to be on the stage and get hammered. I was wrong. The pros were right. No, he and, was right about it. Yep, they were very right about it. Byron York on X, the Washington Examiner, Fox News. Thank you, Byron. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. 
Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. David Drucker with The Dispatch, senior political reporter. I assume still in Iowa. I doubt you dug your way out last night. David, where are you and how cold is it? <laughs> I'm in Des Moines. It's still below. Well, I haven't checked, but I think it's still below zero. It's been below zero now for so long that this is just my reality. And this was the reality uh, when Iowa voted last night. Um, and I, I think today it's going to be above zero, which, you know, I'm headed to New Hampshire in a few days. It's going to be, what, in the 20s or 30s. That's practically summer. I'm just going to pack Wear short sleeves. What did you make of last night's romp by the former president? Well, sometimes the polls are right, Hugh. And and so this this shouldn't be unexpected. You know, as I like to say, sometimes individual polls can be wrong uh, individually, but, but directionally correct. And all the polls were pointing in one direction. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, I think it has to be a little more disappointing for Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley only because of all the time and energy and money that DeSantis poured in here. You can't say he didn't work hard. You can't say he didn't do everything he could possibly think of to try and turn things around uh, from where they have been. Uh, And obviously for Nikki Haley, surprising and finishing second would have been better because she's She's trying to do something that is very difficult to do, which is beat Trump and beat him in New Hampshire in a Republican primary, uh, which you know may look doable when you look at polling. And it is doable theoretically, but it's going to be very difficult. So you want as much momentum, as much wind as your back as you can get. It wasn't what you'd call a disappointing finish. And she probably starts New Hampshire exactly where the polling more or less says she is. But when you're down by 15 or 12 or even 10, it only sounds good because before you were down by 20 and 30. So we'll see what she can make of um, the added attention this coming week and see if she can close the gap. Now, Vivek is dropping out. I assume that will help former President Trump in New Hampshire as Chris Christie dropping out helped out Governor Haley. But I believe that what the pundits demanded, what the RNC and Rana, Rana McDaniel has delivered is a clear choice, a three-person race in New Hampshire. It will be a two-person race by Super Tuesday, correct? Well, I I don't know if we'll still have a race by Super Tuesday. Um, After New Hampshire, we go to to Nevada and South Carolina. Nevada is muddled this year because some people are participating in the caucus, some in in the Republican primary. You weren't allowed to do both, according to the state party and its rules for the caucus. Um, Nikki Haley would need to win her home state to make Super Tuesday matter competitively. Super Tuesday is going to be very much like a national primary, if you will, a sort of uh, truncated national primary. Look at the national polls. Look where Trump is. So unless you've started defeating Trump before then, giving people a reason to look elsewhere and think about the race differently, I, I don't think this race matters on Super Tuesday. We're not there yet. We've got New Hampshire. We've got South Carolina. We've got a little Nevada. But Super Tuesday only matters if somebody else starts winning before then. If Ambassador Haley does not win New Hampshire, is her campaign over? I think it's well, I think it's effectively over because Trump is very strong in South Carolina. He has grassroots support and he has establishment support. By the way, he's got he the governor. The establishment. He's a he's former, got the governor. He's a former. Pre- yeah, he's a former president with all the trappings of being an incumbent. He's got the governor. He's got Senator Lindsey Graham. He's got the statewide constitutional officers. He's got some of the business community. 
and he's just strong there. He was particularly strong there in 2016. Uh, the Republican Party in South Carolina has always liked Trump. They still like Trump. I think Nikki could make a race of it, um, but she's going to have a lot to overcome. And usually when you lose your home state in Republican primaries or Democratic primaries, there just isn't a path forward. Now, Nikki, has been, Nikki Haley has been able to raise a lot of money. Um, she's actually been able to broaden her support. She's shown an ability to reach outside the party. That matters in primaries where independents uh, and others can participate. Um, but but it's just going to be very difficult for her to continue in the race without a win in her home state. David, I'm trying to remember, and I go back pretty far in Iowa. I don't believe in a contested primary any candidate has ever won an absolute majority the way Donald Trump did last night. Do you? I believe you're correct. And I, from all of the reading I was trying to do last night while I was working, I believe it's George W. Bush may have held the previous record in 2000, possibly, for for margin of victory. And I think Trump might be the first to, to crack 50. I mean, it was just, you know, it was it was reduced turnout, to be sure, compared to 2016. Um, and, and look, we could parse through the weather and, and what that turnout means. But I mean, he won and he won big and there's just no other way. He won every demographic, of, every demographic. I've got a yeah, column over at FoxNews.com this morning correct. on why he won evangelicals. And it's not, as The Washington Post reports, because they think he's ordained by God. It's it's a lot more complicated than than that sort of simplistic reflexive action. But man. What a win. Safe travel, David Drucker. You're going to run into everyone at the Des Moines airport this morning, I'm sure. You're up early and you're looking great, and I appreciate you joining me. I want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is, I, but, but we don't... I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And Um, that is a. And it's healthy. It's wise. It's productive. 864. 644. 1900. That's. 864. 844. 1900. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Last night, after former President Trump rolled up an enormous win in Iowa, he appeared to give a victory speech. It was not carried by MSNBC, and it was immediately cut off by CNN. These are allegedly, quote, news, close quote, networks. And I like a lot of people at both of them, but their brands are deeply damaged because 
if you're not going to show the front runner speech after they win, you are not a news network. You're an opinion network that chooses to keep people from seeing the news. Here is the beginning of former President Trump's speech last night, cut number 13. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time. And most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing that's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important, and I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. I want to thank uh, some of the great people. We have so many senators. If I go through every name, we'll be here all night, and everybody's going to get angry at me. But the senators, the congressmen from Washington, they came down from all different states. I want to thank you very much. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a good a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And uh, I think they both actually did very well. I really do. I think they both did very well. We don't even know what the outcome of second place is. And uh, I see Carrie Lake. Congratulations, Carrie. I spotted her. I have to announce because she's terrific. She's going to be a senator, a great senator, I predict, right? You're going to be a great senator. And uh, I also want to congratulate Vivek because he did a hell of a job. He came from uh, zero and he's uh, got a big percent, probably 8%, almost 8%. And that's a, an amazing job. They all did. They're all very smart, very smart people, very capable people. I think most importantly, I want to thank my Incredible wife, uh, first lady, I'll say former and maybe future. But more important than Melania, I want to thank her incredible, beautiful mother who passed away a few days ago. And she's up there, way up there. She's looking down and she's so proud of us. And I just want to say to Amalia, you are special. One of the most special people I've ever known. And uh, that was a tough period of time for the family. But she, uh, she's amazing. She was amazing. So I just want to thank what she's done for our family and her husband, who's home right now and very lonely. He's a lonely man, but he's going to be okay. Victor, they're great people, great, uh, great parents to all of us, really. I mean, great parents, but also to Baron. Boy, did she take care of Baron. That's how he got so tall. He only ate her food. <laughs> and I want to thank my family generally. Uh, They've worked so hard, and they've taken so much abuse for being good people. I mean, good people, but uh, Eric and Don, they really did. These two have been working so hard, and they, uh, you know, they have another job also, so they have to do it all, but they, uh, they've been working so hard, and I know that Ivanka is home, and Tiffany's home, they're watching, and I know that Baron's watching, good old Baron, he's... I said, you're going to be a basketball player. I said, well, I like soccer, Dad, actually. I said, at your height, I like basketball better, but you can't, sometimes you can't talk them into everything. But he's a special boy. But the whole family is just incredible. And my 
uh, sister Elizabeth, who's uh, just the biggest fan. She's just an incredible person and uh, always supportive. We love Elizabeth so much. Uh, also, uh, we have a woman who took a big chance. You know, in most states, we have support of everybody, the Congress, uh, the senators. We had Marco Rubio. We had Rick Scott the other day. Uh, we have, you know, probably 50, 55 percent of the senators. And now they're all calling and saying, we want to endorse you, sir. I said, oh, great. <laughs> Same thing with the Congress, men and women. We have tremendous, much more than anybody probably has ever had in this position. And we love them all. They're great. They're really trying to do a good job for our country. But one woman in Iowa who really stepped up was your Attorney General, Brenna Bird. She really, really stepped up. Where is Brenna? Come here. She stepped up. She's going to be your governor someday, I predict. So we'll see. We'll, see. we'll be watching. It right there. We'll come back in a moment and talk more about that from the ReliefFactor.com studio. Big, enormous win for Donald Trump. Takes a while to analyze. Takes a while for the pundits to figure it out. But it does not take me any time at all to criticize MSNBC and CNN for refusing to carry the speech last night. Uh, really, that's just censorship. That's just censorship. And it's not a news organization when you are not carrying the winners. I mean, they're, they're just so into covering for Joe Biden, who's falling apart. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefFactor.com Studio West. I want to return now to former President Trump's victory speech last night, which was censored completely by MSNBC and almost completely by CNN. They did not carry it. Here is the rest of it. Really did. She broke away from the pack and she had tremendous courage and uh, wasn't easy. In some states, it's easy. In other states, it's a little bit more difficult. But we have really the support of the people of Iowa, which has been just incredible. Another man who was actually the first person to endorse me in the entire country He's a state senator. His name is Brad Zahn. He looks like he's the most handsome guy, I think. Oh, you made it. He had to drive from his caucus location. You made it. I call him the Marlboro Man. Hey, Brad. You want to say something? Come on. Go up. Say something. Well, I'll tell you, I had to actually do a TV interview bragging about you. The reason why I was late is because of that. But um, is he awesome or what? I am honored to be the first person in the United States to endorse this guy. The next president, the 47th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. And when he says endorse, we're really talking about 2015. He endorsed me before, actually, long before I knew I was going to run. I said, who's this man in Iowa? He's a senator, a state senator. He's a good-looking guy, too. Doesn't he look? You could pay him and give him a lot of money. And by the way, Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for being here. You are so great. Comes all the way from Missouri, which isn't that far. You can't, you can't drive an electric car that far, though. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. The uh, 
the group of people that we have on the stage is uh, just emblematic of the tremendous group that we've had. We've had such a, a great team. Uh, you know, we did well. We were looking really good in 2016. And uh, just to go back to uh, the senator, he was saying, I said, who is that guy, Brad, his name? Who is he? He keeps endorsing me. He keeps saying Trump. And I didn't even know I was running. He endorsed me four months before I knew I was running, about four months before the Escalade ride down with our great first lady. And that was Brad. I said, who is he? So he was the first one. But we have people that are so incredible. Your Republican Party chairman, Bobby Kaufman, and his son, who is a brilliant guy, and he worked with us. And I will tell you, uh, that is a family of real professionals. Matt Whitaker, who is the very talented and very good attorney general. Where is Matt? He's around here someplace. And he's been with us all the way. You know, we have a man that was very impressive. And I say, there's nothing wrong with it. He's so solid and so good that he didn't catch on. Sometimes being a little controversial is good. He's so perfect. Although he did break his leg during the campaign, that wasn't so good. But it sort of stood out a little bit, Doug. But Doug Burgum from North Dakota, the governor, and his beautiful wife, Catherine. And he got out of the race. What people don't know is that he actually supported me on the other side twice already, right? Then he decided to do it. And he was outstanding. But uh, the traction is never easy, right? You need controversy for traction sometimes. And this guy is the most solid guy. There's no controversy whatsoever. And he's one of the best governors in our country. And I hope that I'm going to be able to call on him uh, to be a piece of the administration, a very important piece of the administration. And also, just to conclude with this, the entire Trump team, and that includes my two boys who are really here all the time, whenever we needed them. Whenever we needed them, they are great. Eric and Don, and look at all these people. Oh, Susie, I have to say, and Chris, Chris. And they want no accolades. They just want a victory, and they want to make America great again. That's all they want, actually. They don't want to be speaking. They don't want to have pictures. They just want to do their job, right? I want to thank you very much, Jason, everybody. You're really fantastic. What a job you've done. Thank you. So we're going to come together. We're going to drill baby drill right away. Drill baby drill. We're going to seal up the border. Because right now we have an invasion. We have an invasion of millions and millions of people that are coming into our country. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. It's a very bad thing. I think it's a group of people that are probably larger in number than New York State. And we can't have that. We can't have that. It's not sustainable as a country. It's horrible. And, you know, they're coming from prisons and jails. They're coming from all over. They're coming from countries that most people have never heard of. And they're coming from mental institutions and insane asylums. They're being emptied out into our country. And they're terrorists. Many terrorists are coming in. You know, in 2019, I saw just recently on a poll, they had none in 29, no terrorists. Not, now, I even say there's got to be some, but they have none. And then as soon as this group took over, 
They have hundreds and hundreds of terrorists coming in, known terrorists, some of them really bad. And many of them are in, and they came in, and nobody knows where they are. This is not a good thing. And we're going to have to deport. We're going to have to have a deportation level that we haven't seen in this country for a long time, since Dwight Eisenhower, actually. So I don't want to be overly uh, rough on the president. But I have to say that he is the worst president that we've had in the history of our country. He's destroying our country. And, you know, my wife attended the funeral two months ago of Rosalind Carter, and it was beautiful. And Jimmy Carter was there, and I thought to myself, Jimmy Carter is happy now because he will go down as being a brilliant president by comparison to Joe Biden. He'll be a brilliant president. It's going to be, he's going to be known as brilliant by comparison. So we have to stop the invasion. We have to bring down our energy. We have to say, you know, we have, I say all the time, we have more liquid gold under our feet than any other nation anywhere in the world. And we have to stop the crime, and we have to help rebuild our cities, and we have to rebuild the capital, Washington, D.C. I was there on one of the Biden indictment trials. You know, I got it. this is the only person this ever happened before. But I go to a lot of courthouses because of Biden, because they're using that for election interference. And it's on things like election. And I don't know if you know, but they did polls tonight on the election of 2020. Do you believe it was... Honest or not, 82% said, 82% said it was not. And we can't have that, Chairman. We can't have that. You can't have a situation like that. So uh, we're going to straighten out our elections. We're going to do a lot of great things. We're going to try and go to paper ballots as soon as possible. Voter ID. One day, one day elections. You know, we have these elections that last for 62 days, and if you need some more time, take as much time as you want, and so many bad things happen. We have to get rid of mail-in ballots, because once you have mail-in ballots, you have crooked elections. Actually, Jimmy Carter's commission said that a long time ago. We're going to rescue our economy. We're going to save our economy. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. There was never a greater economy, and now we don't. And When you look at what's happened with inflation, inflation is destroying. You know, they call it a country killer. Going back hundreds of years, Germany, countries that had big inflation are dead. They become dead countries. We have to stop that immediately. And we want peace through strength. Russia would have never attacked Ukraine, would have never done it. Putin and I get along fine. We get along very well. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. The... Fake news, which I would, if the fake news would become real and honest news, 90% of our problems in this country would be solved. They would be solved. So, Russia would have never attacked. Israel would have never been attacked. The Ukraine situation is so horrible. The Israeli situation is so horrible. What's happened? And, uh, We're going to get them solved. We're going to get them solved very fast. I actually said Ukraine. I know President Putin very well. I know Zelensky very well. I'm going to get them in. We're going to get it solved very quickly. Should have never happened. Would have never happened. Now you have all that death far greater than people understand. The numbers are far, far greater than anybody would 
even think possible. You're going to find that out in the years to come. When they knock down these massive buildings in Ukraine and then you see uh, they announced two people were slightly wounded. No, no. Many people were killed. Many people were killed. We're going to get it stopped. But it's so sad because it should have never started. People killed and a culture destroyed. You can never replace thousand-year-old buildings with the most beautiful golden domes and churches and everything, just all rubble now. And it's so sad. would have never, ever happened. And likewise, uh, Israel would have never been attacked. It all comes from Iran, and we would have had a deal with Iran very quickly, had the election where we, by the way, got, and I say we because it's all we, we got more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country. But we, they say we lost by a whisker, okay? But regardless, regardless of that, we're going to uh, do incredible things, and do, we're not going to let... China do what they'd like to do. I get along great with him also. President Xi is a very strong leader. And we're going to get things solved. We're going to get the Ukraine war solved. We're going to get the Israeli situation solved. But if you think back to that, Iran was broke. I said to every country, anybody does business with Iran, buys oil from Iran, they were broke. We're not going to let you do business in the United States. And that's the way it is. They did very little business, almost sold no oil. Nobody wanted to do that. That's a big penalty. And what happened is they had no money to give to Hamas and to give to Hezbollah. And, in fact, there were a lot of stories at the time. They had no money for terror. And for four years, we had no terror. We had the terror ban. We had the terror ban. They called the Trump travel ban, but it was really the Trump terror ban. We had no, we don't want people in our country that are going to blow up our shopping centers. Thank you very much. Let's pause there. We will come back to the relieffactor.com studio with more from former President Trump last night. I am Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Let's get to the rest of President Trump, former President Trump's acceptance speech last night after his romping win in Iowa. We want a country of law and order. So we're going to rebuild the capital of our country, Washington, D.C. We're going to scrub those beautiful marble columns and get the swastikas off them. And we're going to scrub them and get the graffiti off them. And we're going to clean the streets and we're going to rebuild the streets. And we're not going to have rusted medians through the middle that are falling down into the roads where foreign dignitaries from all over the world come and they look. And we're not going to be riding on top of garbage like I did just a month ago, riding on top of garbage. We're going to rebuild our beautiful Washington, D.C., and we're going to take control of it. And we're going to make unbelievably harsh penalties for people that go around shooting. Last week, they shot three people. And every night something happens. It's uh, it's so sad. And likewise, we're going to rebuild our cities and we'll work with the Democrats to do it. I'd be glad to work with the people in New York. We're going to work with the people in Chicago and L.A. We're going to rebuild our cities and we're going to make them safe. And we're going to give our police officers immunity. So every time they they do something, they don't get sued and stopped. We're going to end crime in our cities. In Iowa, you don't know what that means, but I'll tell you, this is a different place. You don't know about crime. You don't know about getting mugged and getting whacked and getting thrown into subways. And we're going to stop it. 
And we're going to come down very hard on criminals, and we're going to stop crime in America. So I want to just finish by saying that uh, this has been an incredible experience. The people have been, this is the third time we've won, but this is the biggest win. This is a, they said, well, if you win by 12 percent, that's a big win. That's going to be very hard to do. Well, I think we've more than doubled that, I guess, tripled it maybe. They said, you'll never get over 50. And I just left and we we're at 54. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with it. But they said, you can't do that, sir. I said, what's about the highest? Well, you could get into the 40s, maybe 40, 41. And then I look up and, you know, it's very interesting. I didn't know they called it early. I, I thought that they called it at about 10 o'clock. My impression, see this gentleman we built, he's dressed like a wall. I love this guy. He goes to, he's been at 150 rallies probably, right? He has the most beautiful outfit I've ever seen. It's all beautiful brick. Will you come up here? Just come up here. Come on. It's so nice to see. Come on up here. He's emblematic of what we did. We built over 500 miles of wall. We were going to add another 200 miles. It's much more than we promised. And we had the safest border in the history of our country. Now we have the worst border in the history of the world. Look at this, man. Congratulations. Really nice. Nice to see you, man. You take care of yourself, okay? We will. Thank you. I love that outfit. I love him. That's great. We love it. That's a hot-selling jacket, by the way. So. But that represents what we did. No, we built a tremendous. That's the reason. And we got Mexico to give us 28,000 soldiers free. And we had remain in Mexico. And we had catch and release in Mexico. And we did a job. We had the safest border in our history. We had the greatest economy in our history. We had a great, we were a great nation three years ago. And now we're a nation in decline. We are going to turn it around so fast. It's going to happen so fast. We're going to drill. We're going to make great. We have great wealth. We're going to drill. We're going to use that money to lower your taxes even further. We gave you the biggest tax cut in history. And we're going to lower them further. And we're also going to pay off national debt. It's about time. It's about time. So it's now off to New Hampshire, a great place. We won it last time. And uh, we won it both times. And uh, we love it. The people are great. But you know, the truth is, the people in our country are great. They're all great. So we love Iowa, but they're all great. They only want to see one thing. They want our country to come back. They're embarrassed by what's going on. Our country is laughed at. All over the world, they're laughing at us. And they want our country to come back. They want America. You know, they want us to be great again. It's a very simple. It is very simple. He gave a fine speech. I cannot believe that CNN and MSNBC did not give uh, the audience that watches them the opportunity to watch the former president after a romping huge win. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.